before. We've been hanging out there for the past few weeks. We're going to hang out there some more uh, today. Uh, but before we do that, I really feel like we, that I need to, uh, I, I just feel like I need to review a few things. Uh, I feel like I need to say some things over again, things that I've been saying for the past three weeks. Um, so if you've been with us for the past few weeks, this is going to be very familiar. Uh, but repetition is really important because how many of you realize that repetition helps us learn? Okay? Like, I, I don't know if it was, I don't know about you guys, but like, I needed somebody to teach me how to tie my shoes, not one time, but over and over again, right? Um, it's really funny, my middle son Seth, I, I don't know how many times I've told him how to tie his shoes. Probably, probably 50,000 times. I, I don't think it's an exaggeration. And on, 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 on the 50,000th time, so there's something about repetition that helps us acquire. And, uh, and, and repetition, repetition helps us learn, it helps us grow. Um, it helps us grow because it, it, repetition is like, it's like the meals that my mom used to make. Um, we had, I don't know about you guys, but at my house, we had certain family meals that we, we pretty much had every week, right? So you, you kind of knew what you were going to have on Monday, and you kind of knew what you were going to have on Wednesday. Anybody else's house like that? It was just like, <laughs> yeah, it was staples. And, and there one, one meal in particular that my, my mother fixed for us quite often was like, a, uh, was like this little, these little fried pork chops, you know, and mashed potatoes and green beans. Like, it's not the most spectacular meal on the planet, but it'll grow you up, you know? I, I can remember better meals, but if I, if I had to survive on the best meals of my life, I'd be a dead person. So there's something about repetition. There's something about serving it up over and over again. It doesn't just allow us to learn, but allows us to grow. <clears throat> and um, the reason I feel like we need repetition this morning so much is because what we've been talking about for the past three or four weeks, I feel like this is stuff that we really, really need to see take root uh, in our hearts and in our minds and in our understandings. We need, we need this stuff to take root so that it can literally uh, push all these other concepts of what the church is out and give them no room. We need to grow, we need to grow a new concept, we need to grow a, a new understanding, and we need to grow a new heart toward the church so that there is no room for the kind of concept and heart that most of us have grown up with concerning the church. Amen? See, a lot of us have grown up with the, with the view of the church that, you know, the church is the place that you have to go, you know. How many of you have parents that made you go to church, right? And ultimately, that's a good thing. Thank you. And that's, ultimately, that's a good thing. But one of the byproducts of, of when your parents make you go to church is there becomes this subtle thing in your mind and uh, uh, in, in your heart that says, church isn't the place where I get to go and fellowship and meet the Spirit of Jesus and all of my brothers and sisters. But church is almost in some ways punishment. I, I, I grew up several years, you know, my parents made me go to church and that was a good thing. But one of the things that grew up in my heart and I needed to get delivered from was this, this, this sense of duty that surrounds church. And, and almost this sense of to being in the house of God, even if his spirit is here, it, it's like punishment, you know? And so we need to be delivered from any sense of punishment. Not only that, but uh, a lot of us uh, have uh, grown up with this concept of the church that church is where, where life gets taken from you rather than life gets imparted to you, you know? Uh, church is oftentimes incredibly disappointing. Uh, the people who leave the church are oftentimes incredibly disappointing. And 
a lot of times church is the place where we go and find the most rules and the most oppression and the least flexibility, no innovation, no new thoughts, just tradition. And it has this way of absorbing whatever life, whatever spark we have, has a way of absorbing it out of. And one of the things that grows on the interior of our heart is this concept and this idea and this structure that the church, unspoken, is the place where life gets taken from rather than the place where I go to absorb life, rather than the place where, uh, where the spirit of Jesus nourishes me and, and I become a changed, better person. One of the other concepts you need to deliver from is, is this concept that church is where a few people do everything and the rest of us watch, sit quietly, and hopefully get a little money. You know? Yeah, I mean, for, for far too long, one of, the, one of the major issues in the North American church is that church is where five or six people do everything and then hundreds of people just watch. And that, 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 will, kill, that will kill you, it will kill the church. And it's one of those concepts that we need, we need absolutely delivered from. The truth of the matter is, church is, is God's, it's, it's his family, and it's his, all, it's his assembled family. And because it's God's assembled family, church should be really rambunctious. You know, it should be, it should be loud. Church should be loud. It was loud a few minutes ago. We like that way. But church should be loud. It should be rambunctious. Uh, church should be like the kids on Christmas morning. You guys remember Christmas morning? That's what church should be. It should be way more like that than it should be quiet and stay like, you know, we've just given reverence way too much prayer in the church. And, and we need, we need, there should be, there should be this sense of family. There should be a wild nature. There should be, church should be the place where people are free to make mistakes rather than live in fear of being punished if they do mistakes. You know, church should be the place where transparency is valued over perfection. That was actually a pretty good word to survive right <laughs> See, church should be um, church should be messy. It should be full of mistakes because church should be full of risk takers. And not only that, but church should be uh, church should be full of Jesus's glory. You know, Jesus wasn't joking when he said, "If a couple of you guys will get together in my name, I'm going to be there with you." And he's here, he's here with us right now. Some of us are aware of his presence. Some of us aren't, and that's not. It's not like an indictment of any kind. But one of the things we want to see grow in the church is we want to grow in this awareness and the sense of the presence of Jesus with us. And I'm not talking about some metaphysical, philosophical ascent. I'm talking about the weighty, felt, tangible, sticky love of Jesus in the room. Church should be the place where I come in and my heart literally skips a beat. Have you ever come into church or during worship or even... Even during like like a really good word, like a really good message, probably one that I didn't preach. But, but have you ever experienced like had your heart come alive? And anybody in here ever ever like in the middle of church, in the middle of family of God, had almost like lose your breath? You know that that should happen. That's the way it's supposed to be, because the King of Glory is actually with us right now. Like whether we're aware of it or not, the King of Glory is He's right here. And all we have to do is begin to turn our heart toward him just a little bit, and then he begins to respond. So one of the reasons we value worship is because it's it's just a moment for us to begin to quiet the external external parts of life, the external parts of my thoughts, and the external parts of my heart. And I can quiet and I can settle it on this one thing that the King of Glory is here. That's what church should be.
and I want to I want to repeat a few things here this morning because one of the things I, I really I really feel like the Lord is doing with us right now is that God he, He's raising up He's raising up a church um, or a body that is really like Him and worthy. You know, and you, one of the things that, that, that the Lord wants most more than anything else is He really wants to be to be like Him uh, and worthy. He wants us to be uh, like Him in life. He, he wants. He wants the vineyard, and not just the vineyard, he wants all churches to be like the fifth gospel. You know? He wants every church everywhere to be like the gospel that is that is being written. He wants he wants churches everywhere to, to carry good news and release healing and to, to have authority over demonic oppression and to have authority over sicknesses and storms uh, and just to bring the kingdom. That's what he wants the church. He wants the church to be the fifth gospel. And it looks like that's one of the things he's raising up here. Which is a good thing. He's been doing that for 15 years, but one of the things, I don't know if you guys have caught on to this or not, but our church is, is back in a transition spot. We're, we're, always, we're always doing this. Our church is very transitional, meaning that um, people come to our church for three or four years and then they move away because they get a new job or they graduate. And, have y'all noticed that? And we just we just had I've called it the diaspora. People have been people who have been with us for years have just they've just been they, in the last six months have just picked up and moved and been scattered all over. And and the reason uh, I feel two things about that. Number one, I feel incredibly sad because some of these people we spent four years with, you know. You know, when you lose people like Cliff and Jim Law, it hurts your heart, right? I mean, it does not. But the other thing I, I noticed is one of the things that that the Spirit is, is saying to us before, listen, is that this is a transitional moment and he's going to begin to bring in a whole new thought for us to teach and train and get a platform for them, make some mistakes, uh, give them some correction, put them out, and in the next four years we're going to raise up a whole new thought, we're going to raise up more than we've ever raised up, and we're going to send them further than we've ever sent. That's, that's what this moment is. And this is really a family word, so if you're new here this morning, uh, man, I'm glad you're here. This is really for the, for the family. And you decide to stick around and see the words you can buy into. But one of, the, one of the reasons I wanted to camp on this message of the church, especially with respect to the, the equipping nature of the church, is because for the most part, people who are sitting right here, um, you guys are the you guys are the core. You know, we got some people out on vacation or whatever, we're part of the core. This is this is home team right here. And in the next couple of years, one of the things the Lord wants to do is he wants to tap every single person on the shoulder here and say, Would you please make a disciple for me? Would you, would you make a disciple? And, and some of us need a conversion in our heart to first be a disciple. Some of us have walked with Jesus for a while at an intellectual level, but we've never submitted our heart. And so God is saying to us this morning, to, to some of us in here, would you be my disciple? Would you come and follow close after me? But then to some other people this morning, to everybody in the room, one of the things he's saying is, I would like you to make a disciple. See, disciple making isn't just my job. It's everyone's job. Uh, when Jesus talks in the, uh, in the Gospels. You know, you know that parable where he says, you know, you can have 30, 60, and 100 fold return? There's a lot of ways to read that, that parable. And, um, but we, because all of Jesus' parables, they're, they're multi-layered. They're like, they're like onions. You just keep peeling them back. But one of the ways that, that we read that parable around here, at least the leadership of, that, of the church here, is we read that parable as, could I make 30 disciples in my lifetime? Could I make people who are just like me 30 times over in my life? Could I make 60? Could I make 100? How many of y'all would like to have 100 forward time in your life? 
See, I'm, one, of, one of my goals is to have a hundredfold return and, that, and to make at least a hundred disciples. And one of the things I want to tell you is disciple making doesn't necessarily happen in the big meeting in front of thousands. You know, you can't go to a conference and become a disciple. The only way disciples are made is when they come to your house and they don't have to ask you and they can go in and grab a Coke out of your refrigerator and make a ham sandwich and mess up your kitchen and it's okay. That's when you're making disciples. When you have people in your life who can mess up your kitchen and it'll be all right, then you're going to make disciples. And that's one of the things the Lord is saying this morning. Is he's saying, church, would you please and would you please make disciples? Amen? And then so I'm going to go over uh, just a few things in review and then uh, actually, Heather's been helping this one. Good tag team. Paula. Uh, yeah, a couple things. Uh, we, 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 we began this series in, uh, in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, and I want to go over the, the, the five essentials of the local church, the essences of the local church. In Matthew <coughs> verse 13 through 20, it's, uh, it's when the disciples are out with Jesus, and Jesus looks at them and says, well, who, who do they say I am? You all know that. That story, right? And who do they say? And the disciples, they return to them and they say, well, some people say you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist back from the dead. Some say that you're one of the other prophets. And then Jesus says, well, who did you say that? And then Peter blurts out, well, you're the son of God. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one. And Jesus looks at him and says, you know what? You didn't get that from my father. You didn't get that from yourself. You got it from my father. And on this rock, you know, I'm going to build my church. It's the first mention of the word church in the whole Bible. And so we want to, we want, we looked at that little piece of scripture, and, and there's five essentials, five essences of the local church. And the first one is the five, the, the first essence of the local church is the revelation of Jesus as the son, as the son of God, uh, as the saving son. The, the essence of the local church is it's a, it's a community of people where they recognize Jesus for who he truly is. And most of us in the room, we've got that down. We recognize Jesus for who he really is. Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He isn't just a moral philosopher. He isn't just some wandering uh, spiritual rabbi from 2,000 years ago. He's the saving son of God. And all other revelation has to submit itself to that one singular revelation. That's, that's the first essence of the local church. The second essence of the local church is that the church is known by the community that she creates. Community is an essential part of the local church. You see it uh, in the Gospels. There's Jesus, and he's out on his mission. And, 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 and as he's out on his mission, he begins to call men to him, and he calls 12 men to him. And, and just the course of a few, few days, Jesus has this community that surrounds him. So what is the, it's the simplest picture of what the church is. What is the church? It's a community of people following the Lord Jesus anywhere he goes. That's what the church is. And it's instructive for us because we can't grow, we can't grow in love with Jesus and grow in isolation. If you're in isolation, you, you are deceived. You can't, you can't grow in love for God and end up a more alone, isolated person. It's a deception. To the extent that I grow in love for Jesus, I'll end up being more and more connected to the people who are sitting there. The church is known by the community she creates. Number three, uh, you, you can't have a church unless there's structure, authority, and leadership. You know, Jesus Jesus is the main leader. He's the head. And he looks at Peter at this moment, you know, and he says, Peter has just said, you're the son of God. You're the saving son of God. And he looks at Peter and he says, you didn't come up that on your own. My father gave it to you. Peter on his rock from the Roman church. It's a little play on words there. Peter's name means rock. So one of the things that Jesus is beginning to do, 
Jesus as the, as the main and supreme leader. He's beginning to establish leadership in his church. One of the things we talked about last week, if no one's responsible, it's not a church. Like if a community of people get together, if a, if a little group of, of people get together and hang out at the Starbucks and talk about Jesus, it may or may not be church. If no one is responsible for that group of people, if no one there is looking after the people who are there, it's not a church. It's a hangout, but it's not a church. And, and, and this, this rubs us a lot of times the wrong way because so many of our wounds in the local church have come from leadership, right? You know, pastors call their pants down, elders are stealing from the causes. Or just harsh words spoken, you know? But one of the things that, that marks the local church is leadership, authority, and instruction. In biblical speaking, leadership, authority, and instruction is always about caring. That's the reason pastors are known as shepherds. Pastors, they're just they're, they're to look after the sheep and make sure that the wolves don't come in and ravage the, ravage the flock. Number four, the fourth essence of the local church is that the local church is where we find our life purpose. It's where we find our life purpose. It's where we find our call. Uh, and, and, and this doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who comes to the church is supposed to end up in full-time ministry. But it's the local church where the wife of God is is being released into, into this people where we find our destiny in God. So Peter, Peter gets the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God. The Father reveals it to him. And then Jesus turns back to Peter and says, you know what? On this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he begins to prophesy to Peter his life calling. And, and we understand from the book of Acts that Peter is the, is the guy who, who preached the first, first, uh, first saving message in, 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 in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching. Oh, this massive crowd and 3,000 people coming in those days. And then, then Peter moves on from, from the Jewish sector, and in Acts chapter 10, he's in Cornelius' house, and it's Peter who establishes the church in the Gentile, in the Gentile household. So if it wasn't for Peter, if it wasn't for Cornelius, none of us would be here today. But that all started in Matthew 16, when Jesus looks at him and says, on this rock I'm going to build my church. See, the church is where we find when we get connected to our life calling, our purpose, and our destiny. And then number five, church is where we, we, join, we join God on His mission. See, God's always on mission. If, 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 there's, if there's community, and if there's a revelation of Jesus as the Son of God, you know, people are, are getting an idea of their life purpose and calling. But there isn't mission, and something critical because the church is always called to be outward looking. Outward looking. People who are grabbing and bringing others We can't divorce the message of the kingdom from the call to come and say, come and get part of the mission. And then two weeks ago, we started looking in the book of Ephesians. And uh, in the first seven verses, we noticed that there's a kind of culture that, that allows the church to be equipped and allows the church to grow. And it's a, it's, a, it's a culture based upon grace and kindness and gentleness toward one another. Paul says in those first two verses, be completely humble, be gentle, preserve the unity of the Spirit. And, there's a, and what we see in the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 4 is we see the kind of culture which grows which grows an equipping ministry where people can go from infants in Jesus to be mature men and women in God's body. And uh, this kind of culture is, there's two 
two facets to it. The first facet is that uh, the culture that grows people is a culture where uh, unity is based upon diversity. See, a lot of times the church has been such a, such a hard place, and it's been the kind of place that's demanded conformity. So most of us have grown up in life thinking or feeling things that the church is where I have to come in and conform, you know? And that's just not the truth at all. The church is where differences are celebrated. So possible. So unity in the church isn't based upon conformity. It's based upon diversity. People's unique gifts are celebrated. And one of the things that, that has to happen here at the beginning is we have to begin to have, allow our hearts to be touched by God so that when we look at one another, when we look at people around us, especially people who are different than us, we can begin to celebrate them for who they are and celebrate their differences rather than allowing their differences to be a reason to separate us. So all uniqueness, that's, that's, it's, it should be well-received in the church. And then also, um, another key component of the culture that, that grows and matures the truth is, is, is a component of, of gentleness and humility. And it's the kind of gentleness and humility that allows us to receive from you. So the church is the place where unity is based upon diversity. It's where we see one another's differences and we celebrate them. But then we maintain a gentle and humble heart so that I can receive from people who are different than me. So one of the things that a lot of us don't realize is, is the people who drive us the craziest in the church are actually the people who have what we need most. And so there's a, there's a kind of interior culture of the heart where I have to maintain gentleness and humility so that, I, so that I'm able to receive from people, especially people who are different than me. But nobody in the church has everything that the church needs. Jesus has built me into the church. He's built every single person here with different strengths. And it, it, it requires that we keep a humble and gentle spirit toward one another so that I'm always able to make, maintain a relationship with people that I can receive. See, Michael has things that I need. Like, you know, that may come, that may come as a bit of a surprise. You know, some of us think, well, the pastor's the guy that does everything because he's the most equipped and he's the best and he's the coolest, right? I know I do. <laughs> See, when I say it, it sounds foolish, but a lot of us live with that, with that in our heart. See, I'm not necessarily the most together guy in the beginning. I'm just the guy that God selected. Okay? But Michael has things I need. He, Michael has things that I absolutely need. And I have to, I have to maintain a, a humble and a gentle spirit so that I can receive from Michael, even though every single week I hold a microphone and I get to talk and he doesn't to see me. That's a struggle, you know? But it, it's not just for me. It's for my points, for everyone else here. See, see, Joyce has things that I need. And I have to have a gentle and humble spirit so I'm able to receive from it. Stephen has things that I need, you know? Uh, people who have just met the Lord here today, they have things that I need. We need we, this is the culture that allows us to receive from them. Because what God wants to do is he wants us, he wants to assemble us as a body. It's the overarching metaphor that's being used. Is that Jesus' church is a body. It's a connection. So the first seven verses in Ephesians chapter 4 about the culture. And then, and then the following verses. I want to read just a few of them. The following verses are about the mission of the church. How she works. In verse 11, it says, this is all about Jesus. It says that Jesus, it was he. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, 
some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Not so they could do everything in the market way, but look no first off, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God's plan is to, is to give the church leadership and he wants to give the church leadership, not so that leadership can lord it over the church, not so that leadership can extract every ounce of strength and goodness from people and keep them down, but so that leadership can impart, can impart vision to people, can impart gifts, can impart abilities, can train, equip. That's the point. These are the ministries that we drop people into the world of ministry. Yeah, well, come on. Why don't y'all welcome that? Why is that? 
but it's because even children are drawn to the players. They're drawn to the people who are doing the stuff. And it wouldn't be a team without the coach, but the coach isn't the one who draws the people in. He isn't the one who, who goes out there and gets the attention. And when kids, white kids, see John Wall make some amazing play, they don't immediately say, wow, Coach Cal sure did set up a great play. They say, oh my goodness, I want to do what he's doing. And I think that's kind of the picture that, that um, that I want to lay out for the church is that when we get our locker room talk, when we get our instruction, our training, and then we go out into the world, that's that's our that's the court, that's our playing field, that's where we get to go do the stuff, affect people, draw people in. They say, I want what he has, I want what she has, I want that jersey, how can I get it? And that's how we start really, really affecting our community. In the same way, um, as members of the body, we can affect the world in the same sort of way. Someone whose life is totally shameless, someone who has some horrible physical ailment, will be much more likely to meet the Lord, to find peace, to find healing through the person who works beside them, who reaches over and prays for them, they get some amazing message on something like that. When you're at the checkout in the grocery store, and your cashier you know, has one of those carpal tunnel things on their wrist, and you say, can I pray for that? And you pray for it, and the woman is healed at that point, you're the one on the field coming on the court making the play. But a lot of times in church we expect or just kind of allow the leadership to do all the, all the work. Um, think of how foolish that would be in a metaphor. Like if Coach Calipari was in the locker room and said, uh, let's Let's go get them. Let's play. Here's our defense. Here's our offense. We go out on the court, and the whole team sits on the sidelines, and the coach in his shiny shoes and his suit goes out on the court. I mean, it would be foolish. The whole point of training is to release. And a good coach isn't a good coach because of the suit, because of his image, endorsement deals. Um, I remember when one time I saw a commercial where Rick Pitino uh, did it, like endorse some kind of spaghetti sauce. That was like back in the day. But that that kind of stuff, getting his name out there, isn't what made him a good coach. It was the, it's winning things, it's winning championships, accomplishing our goal. And in the same way, um, we're on mission, and our goal is to accomplish a mission, accomplish a goal that Jesus has set out before us, and we only do that by everyone realizing their part, doing their part, and then turning around and helping other people realize their part. Now our metaphor kind of breaks down here because one of the great things about the church is that 
you don't necessarily have to be some sort of amazing superstar to be on the team. In the church, the qualifications are you're connected to Jesus, you're connected to his church, and you're willing. Uh, you don't have to have a PhD, you don't have to have, you don't even have to have a bachelor's degree, you don't have to have a certain income, you don't have to be a certain age, gender, married, parent, none of that matters. In the church, connected to Jesus, connected to the body, willing to do the stuff, that is your qualification. The most unqualified people I can think of would be like kids. I mean, half of them don't even know how to read yet. They sure don't know very much theology. They don't, they probably have never read the Bible because they can't read. They don't know the stories. But if they're coached and trained and taught and brought up to know Jesus and to understand that they have a role, then they can be effective players. Um, my middle son, Seth, one day he was in class and his teacher had to take a break to go take Tylenol because she said she had such a bad headache. And he raised his hand and he said, oh, can I pray for you? Because we just coached and taught him, trained him that this is the appropriate response. That, you know, the Lord doesn't want you to have a headache. So our job is to pray. And so he, she's like, oh, sure, that would be sweet. Turned around thinking, oh, he's going to, you know, pray for me before lunch or at his bedtime prayers. Seth gets up out of his chair, goes to the front of the class and lays his hands on her and begins to pray for the headache to be gone. The headache is gone. And I just think that is such a great example that, I mean, Seth, he's a kid. Um, the disciples, none of the disciples had college degrees. None of them had been to ministry school. Why were they qualified? They were connected to Jesus. Adam pointed out to me yesterday, he's like, um, none of the disciples could get a job at a seminary nowadays because they don't have the qualifications, but yet none of that matters to Jesus. What about stay-at-home moms? This was a big one for me because I was a stay-at-home mom for like eight and a half years. And when you become a stay-at-home mom, or you, you have done that or are currently doing that, um, you have this sense that you're doing a really good thing. You're training your children, and it's a blessing. I'm so grateful for it. But it can be a tad bit isolating. And you start staying in your home a lot. And you're taking care of your children, which is great, but you speak in terms of Dora, and <laughs> all your words sound a little funny. Tummy instead of stomach. But... But even a stay-at-home mom who has not a huge connection with the outside world can still be a player and make disciples. I know Lori, I think, is a good example for me. <laughs> Lori always has some college girl at her house, sitting at her table, sitting in her living room, I mean, helping clean out the boys' rooms, whatever. And in that spending time together, Lori's being a player, Lori's doing her job, she's reaching out and making disciples. And I think that a lot of us have put ourselves in the place where we um, can think of 50 examples or uh, reasons why it's someone else's job. But the truth is we're all qualified. We are all given all the tools we need. 
if a child is affected, if a mother who's pulled in 50 directions and um, is lucky to get a shower can do it, then we, we can all do this. I think it's a really, I think the, the picture of the church as a team is a really freeing picture for me. Because I don't know about you, but um, I get antsy if I'm not doing something for too long. And a lot of times, if we're sitting in those purple chairs, if we're absorbing all this teaching, if we're learning, and we don't have an outlet, then we start getting antsy. And that's when all kinds of things go haywire. But the good thing is, we we truly believe in the vineyard that we're all meant to do this stuff. And that this is merely training and discipling and teaching so that you can go out. And you don't have to, when you run into someone who is in a deep depression and they are in the college class with you and they come in every day and you can tell they're going downhill, you don't have to call Adam and say, dude, there's this guy in my class and uh, he's not doing so well. Can, can you maybe come to class with me and pray for him? Can you maybe come to class with me and let's tell him about you know, freedom in Jesus? The freeing thing is that right there in that moment, you have everything that Adam has to bring Jesus' light into that situation. Right. A couple more things regarding our church team. All coaching and no practice does not a good player if you just watch tapes, watch drills, watch your coach, listen to your coach, but never actually get on the court, hold a ball, shoot, shoot a million free throws until you finally make one, you, you can't ever play. You can't ever do it. And the church should be a safe place for us to practice, for us to get out there and try. We should be able to go to the church, home groups, in our homes with our friends, and ask questions, talk to each other, begin prophesying, begin laying out our vision, begin praying for each other. All of those things, leading people to Christ, all of those things can be done here. And it's okay to not be perfect and not have a 100% success rate. Because I, that is, I haven't touched on this every minute to what I have. But I think that the Lord wants to deliver us from perfectionism from like compulsiveness to get everything right all the time. And so that is side note. I really do think that there's freedom this morning for um, like overwhelming perfectionism and compulsive thinking and, and things like that to where you just never quite feel that what you have to offer is good enough. You can't quite do it right. And so um, we definitely want to pray for that. is um, as coaches, as leadership, we want to raise up great players. But we want those players to turn around and raise up more great players. Every great coach was at one time or another a player. Um, every great teacher at one time or another did the thing they teach. It's very rare that you'll find someone in a, in a particular field who is revolutionizing that field 
who hasn't at one time or another worked a very bottom job in that field. I think of like a scientist. It's probably rare that you would ever find a scientist who is developing some amazing new drug or medicine that didn't at one point or another in college work in the lab at their university you know, mixing who knows whatever scientists do. So, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I'm real smart. <laughs> and so, you know, you have to get out there and do, do it. Mess up. Make mistakes. Get it right. It doesn't matter. Just get out there and do it. And it's that experience that qualifies you to make disciples. It's not the more books you read. It's not how many battle sermons you download on your it really is experience, connecting to Jesus, connecting to the body, and being willing. Here's the deal with the vineyard. We have great music. We have a handsome pastor. <laughs> we have a lot of, we had an awesome week with the youth this week, right? They did some awesome stuff. Um, but you know what I would love our reputation in the community to be? Not how handsome our pastor is. No, that is, um, not how amazing our band is, not how many great activities we have. I would love for our reputation, the reputation of the vineyard to be, oh yeah, the vineyard. Some guy who I ran into in the park came up and gave me a word about my mom and prayed for her. Things worked out for her, and he said he went to the vineyard. Huh, stuff happens with people who go to the vineyard. Oh, yeah, yeah. The girl who works in the two cubicles down from me goes to the baby. Yeah, she's always happy. She is so full of joy. Yeah, she goes to the baby. That's the kind of reputation you want to have. Not a reputation based on what goes on up here, although this is good and we want this to be great. But we really, really know that to be effective in our community and to accomplish our mission. It, it, it's, it's everybody else. It's everybody. We want to advance the kingdom of God and we want everybody to play. Two excellence in a while, okay? Like, putting on showers. What are you doing? You're like, what is shower here? I mean, come on. We can do a lot from home. Like I said, yeah, um, this is what I feel like we're supposed to do this morning. I feel like the Lord just wants to uh, tap a bunch of people on the shoulder again, and, and I feel like there's a lot of people here this morning. We need to respond just uh, in their heart, and, and if I can put it this way, we just need to re-enlist uh, with the Lord and say, you know, I am yours, I am a disciple, and I want to be a disciple. Is that okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand up this morning. I had some other things, but the no one this is whatever. Yeah, you guys, so I don't need to show up like that. Kill me. Good, come on. 
I feel like I feel like heaven and I we have the, the same word. One of the things the Lord wants to do is He wants to He wants to reenlist people this morning uh, to being a part of His body in, in a deeper and more dynamic way. Being a part of Jesus's body means two things. It means uh, in order to be a part of the body, it means that you receive and you give. Maturity is, is always about giving, but you can't give until you receive something. So just like your elbow right now, it's receiving blood, but it's also giving. It's allowing blood to pass through. This is the image of the body. And a lot of us have heard enough teaching, have had enough training, so we've received, we've received, we've received, but we've never given it. And essentially what we've become in the body of Christ is a blood clot, you know? It's dangerous. And, and one of the things he wants to do is he wants to, he wants to release the blood clots this morning. He wants, to, he wants to release people who have received for the past... 18, 1900 years, and he wants to release every single person in here to become a giver. And one of the things that we feel like is standing against most of this in Jesus' body is this it's a couple things. It's fear, but it's really specifically perfectionism. It's cancer in Jesus' body. It's cancer in this body right now. It's, it's this feeling of performance that my performance has to be perfect. That if I try, it has to work the first time. I got news for you. The first time you try some stuff, it's probably not going to work, okay? Well, other pastors will tell you that it works every time. I'm not that guy. I won't lie to you. But you go out and pray for the sick. Some of the first people you pray for may or may not be healed. That's just the way it works. But you keep praying, guess what happens? You get breakthrough in there. I'm telling you, this is the way it works. So I feel like what the Lord wants to do this morning is he wants to release He wants to release players under the court. He wants to release blood clots in his body. And he wants to release uh, release people from this oppressive sense of perfectionism. Is that okay? So, hey, if that's you this morning, I just want you to put your hands out, you know? If, you, if they feel like that's you, I just want you to put your hands out. You think, well, that's really weird. Why do we have to put our hands out? Well, it's sometimes good to just get our body, our body to connect with our heart. So you're, you're, you're much more complicated than you think you are. And it's good to have our body, our heart, and our mind to come into some sort of So, Father, even this morning, we ask right now, in, in the name of the Spirit, God, we ask that you would release us uh, from any sense of perfectionism. God, we, we just we, we ask that you would that you would release every person in this church right now from any sense that that uh, in order to play the game that it has to always work. We just break the power of that lie right now. And just I, I don't know how you give that to Jesus, but just give it to Jesus. Just do it. That we just break the power of perfectionism right now. We break the power of, of perfect over every single person in this body right now. And we release, uh, we release the willingness of a disciple. We release the willingness of a disciple. We, I just, in the name of Jesus, I release, like, in the spirit, entrepreneurialism. Just, just an entrepreneurial spirit in the, in, the, in the spirit. Just an entrepreneurial desire to go out and try something, to, to plow new ground in, in, in Campbellsville, in the kingdom. I, I, just, I just release right now, I just release like hope for the place that you work. I just, we just take authority over all the places that you work. And, and you know, what is God going to do about the place you work? You're, he's, he's doing it through you right now. And right now, in the name of Jesus, Father, I ask that you would begin to just drop uh, people's names and faces in our minds right now. And one of the things the Lord wants to do right now is he wants to just drop a, a person or two in your mind a name. And these are the beginning places that you would like for us to begin to cooperate with. These are the beginning missions. And Father, and now in the name of Jesus, God, we just ask that you would release the boldness of a lion in your body. 
God, we ask that your church would be a family, that it would be a family of warriors, a family of lions, God. Bold, just absolutely bold. God, we ask for the boldness that is, that is, that will walk into any situation. But we also ask that there just, even now, that there begin to be a greater sense of, of unity here God. Uh, just, just a connection to one another. God, I ask that you would knit our hearts ever tighter. God, for any, any one person who feels like they are on the outside looking in, God, just break the power of that right now. Amen. God, I ask that you would you begin to weave us ever tighter. God, I ask that you would begin to weave hearts and you would weave lives right now.